welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar interview leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar. All right, in this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Gar and I catch up with Henry Shook, the CEO and founder of Zoom Info. So if you've been a fan of the podcast for a while, you probably remember that I spoke with Henry in 2020, just a few months after Zoom Info took its place as the largest tech IPO in more than a decade. So they've since been eclipsed, but that is an incredible accomplishment. And we were, we were really grateful to be able to get him on the podcast. And we thought it'd be super interesting to get him back on the podcast and catch up and see kind of what's new learn what's changed in the business and, uh, you know, just like, what are the, what's the new normal as a public company and, and, uh, all, all the challenges that come along with that. So it made for a great conversation, but as we went into the discussion, you can imagine that, uh, there were a few things that were unexpected. And so probably one of the, the biggest surprises was really hey, how much is actually, kind of the same. The fundamentals that got them to that point are, are really similar. Uh, so I don't know, Ethan, was there was there anything else that really stood out to you as, as interesting from this one? A lot stood out to me as interesting, but yeah, I had the same reaction. You know, you know, it's always fascinating for us to hear about the scale change and it's really rapid. I mean, it's only been what, two, two years since you spoke to him and everything seems like it's tripled, right? I mean, they've grown the business, like the number of people, uh, they they've increased what the business does now. They do um, sales inte- beyond sales intelligence. They also do talent acquisition um, intelligence and and marketing intelligence. Really interesting stuff, and all that's awesome. But like as you were saying, the how and why behind their approach seems to be very much the same in many ways. You know, Henry's still laser focused on all those things you talked about: experimentation, getting people to use data to surface opportunities. And then inspiring his team to really channel curiosity and learnings to power their growth. And that, that really is all foundational. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, just, it's amazing to see Henry's structural approach. You know, he's, he's continuing to, to iterate and optimize in the business. And, uh, you know, but, but fundamentally, he, he's just so grounded in that, in that growth mindset. Um, and, and not just for him. I think that's it's one thing to have it for yourself, but the fact that he's been able to inspire it as a culture in the business is probably a huge driver of success for them. So his responsibilities obviously evolve as as a public company as they have brought a lot more people on the team. And uh, but he, but he still has this this super disciplined approach to everything that he's doing. I think they've got like 4,000 people on the team now. When I spoke to him in 2020, I think he said it was like 1,100 people. So pretty, pretty <laughs> <Imagine>. amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. How, how far they've come in that period of time. So part of that's through, through organic growth, but part of that is also through acquisitions. And so he goes into a lot of that during our conversation. And, but I think at, at the heart of all of it, he's got this really disciplined approach with a very focused growth strategy that, that he's guiding. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, a good example was when he was mentioning his, um, I think he called it his go-to-markets insights team, which sounds almost like an extension of his own personality. You know, surface the challenges and opportunities in the data, use that to inform the ideation, build the experiments to drive growth. You know, he's he's really been able to lead by creating this infrastructure for sustainable growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I think, this is going to be just something that our, our listeners are going to really enjoy this one. So, um, you know, there's, there's so many 
particularly great leadership lessons here. Even if you're not a public company CEO, you just re- it's important to remember that the, this guy started out bootstrapping from the very early days as a founder, and now he's leading this this massive multi-billion dollar valued business. But he his, his lessons, I think, apply equally to large companies as, as they do to small ones. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a conversation about leadership and sharing knowledge. It's not about how do you lead a giant company. So, you know, I, the best thing I could say about this one is that as soon as we finish recording, you turn to me and you're like, I can't wait to share this with our audience. <laughs> so, you know, it, usually like that's a good indicator. If, we, if you and yeah. I love the conversation, um, it's usually, you know, something uh, that I think is going to be valuable for our listeners. And, you know, if Henry's not careful, he'll probably be our, uh, our first third time guest. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was definitely like a boom. That's a good conversation as soon as we were done with it. But yeah. you, you're right. Like he could be our third time guest. And, um, you know, but yeah, I, I think whether whether we're joking or or serious of him coming back like that, m- most people have not been back for a second time. So it'd be, right. uh, it'll be a while before we bring him back. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that, uh, again, the listeners are going to really enjoy this one. Um, before we jump in, a reminder that this week's sponsor SAP is the world's leading provider of enterprise application software, enabling hyper-growth companies to scale quickly to achieve their growth ambitions with their agile, cost-effective, easy-to-implement cloud solutions. So if you are working to power breakout growth success in your business, please check out sap.com SME. All right, let's get into it. Hi, Henry. Welcome back to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Hey, Sean. Great to be here. Hey, Ethan. Hey, how are you? Yeah, so I'm joined by my co-host, Ethan <laughs> Gar. <laughs> so, uh, you know, last time you were on, we were just talking. You, you were actually, it was just me hosting, and but Ethan had been... Uh, Working with me on the podcast, we were we were planning to bring him in, but he was he was helping to bring some some guests, so he was he was fundamental in in bringing you in as a as a guest last time. But it's it's awesome to uh, to be able to have the three of us this time. Yeah, Sean, okay. Sean already reminded me that the quality has gone way down since since then. So uh, <laughs> take take that uh, take that for what you feedback may. <laughs> feedback is a gift, Ethan. <laughs> exactly. Hard to hard to improve without it. So, um, so there no it's uh, Ethan is uh, is an awesome addition and um so yeah I'm I'm excited to have you back on uh, I, obviously a lot has changed since then it was uh September 2020 when you had you on so we were kind of just just still in like doomsday of the world coming to an end yeah. with the with the pandemic um so uh you know we may be I actually had my first case of uh of covid a week ago and wow uh, and, you stayed or, wow good for you that's amazing yeah, I, I avoided for a long time, but I, I, I like day two of the of of the like pretty like high fever and stuff. I, I recorded a podcast episode, oh, so yeah. it's uh, it, it feels great to actually not be sick doing one of these. <laughs> I I I, I yeah. told people anyone who made it past when Anthony Fauci got COVID is basically a saint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what's actually really funny is that I had not worked in an office environment. This entire two years, three days in an office environment, and boom, uh, you got it. Boom, yeah, got it. Makes sense. So, <laughs> yep. There we go. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to catch up on. I, I definitely want to hear more about where you are with Zoom info, but it's probably good for us to maybe uh, 
zoom back out a little bit. We got a lot of new listeners since the last time we spoke and just give give a, a bit of a quick introduction to what Zoom Info is and and how you create uh, value for businesses sure. for anyone who's been living under a rock and doesn't know <laughs> the, the amazing company. I would love to. So, uh, so my name is Henry Shuck. I'm the founder and CEO of Zoom Info. What Zoom Info does is we're a go-to-market platform that helps sellers and marketers and most recently recruiters find their next best customer engage with their next best customer, know when they're, know who their next best customer is by evaluating whether they're in market for your products and services, whether they visited your website, whether they have a project or initiative that aligns with the types of products or services uh, you're selling. And so it actually starts with a data asset of about 100 million companies and 200 million business professionals. We layer on top of that the contact information for those business professionals so you can get to them, and then a bunch of insights that tell you when a company is currently in market for your products and services. And then we built an application stack on top of that uh, that allows you to, in an automated way, connect with those buyers when they're in market. And it's used by 30,000 different companies, uh, primarily sales and marketing professionals. And we recently launched a uh, recruiting and talent acquisition side of our platform as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've definitely seen very active users on uh, on sales teams, sort of marketers appending a lot of information for the sales team to give them that, that leg up of really knowing what's going on. So uh, paid a lot more attention over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think, you know, like for every organization you have to sell, like there's no company that doesn't have a sales team and you have to know who your customers are. You have to know who buys things at those customers. And then in an ideal world, you're reaching out to them when they're in market for your products and services. And we endeavor to provide you all of that. Yeah. So it's interesting that it's like, it's not just right person, right place. It's that right time also that Absolutely. sometimes that critical piece. So, um, so I think, uh, when you spoke to Sean last, uh, it was, just a few months after your IPO, so your uh, and I believe it was was it the largest IPO of 2020? I think so, uh, tech IPO of 2020. So it was pretty. pretty it, was, cool. it was the uh, first IPO of uh, 2020 um, since from the from when the pandemic started, um, and and it was also the biggest tech IPO in a decade. Um, and then Snowflake went public like three months after, so then it wasn't anymore. <laughs> oh, we're not going to enter. We're, they're definitely not going to get invited on the on the podcast. <laughs> um, so, like, what what have been the highlights for you since you know since that time, like since that transition? Yeah, I mean, look. First of all, when we went public, we were on a great growth trajectory. We felt really good about the future of the company. The company is nearly three times the size from a revenue, from a profitability, and from an employee size perspective, from a customer perspective. So we feel really good about uh, how we've been able to continue to scale the business since going public. Gave us a platform uh, to to go and recruit really talented people to our company. You know, just being public adds a an element of uh, validation uh, to for the best professionals in the world. Um, and so we've been able to really recruit an incredibly strong team here uh, since, since the IPO. I gave us like real rigor around how we run the business. We're a pretty rigorous company anyways, but really thinking through what, what we're going to be able to achieve in the coming years and how we're going to be able to achieve them, how we're going to strategically plan to do that. Um, and then we made a number of acquisitions that took us from really just a contact and company data provider 
to much more of an end-to-end go-to-market platform with a application stack really above that contact and company data. Uh, so lots of really great advancements uh, since we went public. Obviously, going public, you have a whole new set of responsibilities. So my job changed. Um, you know, the the none of my job went away, but then like a big new part of my job came online. And so really, like I went from having two investors who really knew me and understood and trusted me to having just a whole plethora of investors, many that I've never met, some that I just see once a quarter for 30 minutes or an hour um, and don't have like that same relationship with and really thinking about how do you build trust and deliver for that group of investors is very different than people you're, you know, you see all the time and have a longstanding relationship with. You know, I'm curious. Uh, I remember after that interview, I, I don't exactly remember the details, but it was some, um, I remember being on LinkedIn and I saw a post you made and it was around, I, it must've been a, something pandemic related, but you, you were saying to, to anybody in, I guess you live in the Washington area or, uh, area or something. You're saying if anyone needs help, you know, you're basically inviting, telling people you come to your house, I think, or something. I don't remember the details, but I thought it was, I thought it was a very, like, just a very human and nice thing. And I guess, you know, I just, as you were saying that about now going from two investors to thousands, and it seems like with three times as many employees, I think you already were probably around six, 800 employees or maybe more when we spoke, when, when, when Sean spoke to you, has that been, has that been a big challenge for you just mentally to, to transition from, you know, not having the necessarily the con- the the same context with the individuals you yeah are- yeah I mean it's I think it's less growth of the company per- specific and more remote work specific. So like when we IPO'd, we had eleven hundred employees. We now have close to four thousand employees. Those eleven hundred employees, I knew just about every one of them. Um, I knew the organization, their organizations really well. I knew their managers really well. I understood the pain points that they were having. At 4,000 employees, you know, I get that information through surveys and data and my direct reports. And so, and because they're not in the office as well, I don't see them. I don't have that impromptu like conversation where they go like, hey, you know, I had this deal and they said they knew you and this is what happened. And I don't get to hear what's going on in the organization the same way as when people are in the office. So I do think like it's less that it went from 1100 to 4000 and it's more that it went from 11 to 4000 in a fully remote way um, that that you get, you know, you struggle with the connectivity in a different way than when people are in your office um, and when you're in the office with them and interacting. So I, I do think like we don't have today yet the expertise for how to manage really large organizations in a fully remote way. Um, we're still improving our abilities to do that. It's, it's interesting because when you put it that way, it's you'd think that it's 1,100 to 4,000, but you'd have similar issues going from 11 to 40 um, just because it is a different dynamic. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, there are breakpoints along the way. Communication is so important at my uh, at a company of this size. It's important when you're a 10 or 20 or 100 person company, but you kind of just yell loudly when you're a 100 person company and everybody hears you and they know like they, everybody gets on the same page. When you're a 4,000 employee company, like people are 
all around the world, literally. Um, some people really understand the business. Some people don't. Some people are in their fifth year. Some people are in their first month. Um, some people are surrounded by managers who have a lot of business contacts. Some people are not. And so they don't really understand what's going on day to day. Um, and so you are spending a lot of time thinking about how do I make sure that I'm communicating what's happening at the company throughout the company so people feel that connectivity and really understand the strategy and the direction of where we're going. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like such a such a different beast from from a couple of years ago. Um, one thing I want to want to dig into uh, that you that you touched on is kind of the the rigor of of a public company and and yeah planning and, 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 and probably keeping everyone on the same page around that planning. Um, how, how does that look different now versus yeah, like you, you said it's different, but like some of the details of how it's, uh, yeah. how it's different now. Yeah. Look, so first of all, even when you're a small company, um, and when we were a small company, the best run companies are doing sort of planning and strategy together in a really organized way anyways. But to give you a sense of like, um, maybe just kind of how we forecast and we track. Today, um, we'll forecast out the year, then we'll break that out into quarters, and then we'll break that out into months, and then we'll actually break that out into work days. And so for every work day of the year, we know exactly how many, uh, how much revenue we need to generate on the new business side. We know exactly how much revenue we need to generate on the customer side. We know what the renewal rate needs to be. We know what the upsell target needs to be. And then every day I get a pacing report. We all get a pacing report. And it says, here was today's pacing number and here's where we ended up. And day over day over day, you see the pacing line and you see how we're pacing against that line. Um, and then you're able to, when you're doing that, look, in the month, can you make a lot of changes to effective? Not, not a lot, but you can make some. Um, and then you understand sort of by, you know, essentially by minute what's going on in the business by that, it's that level of granularity. You know, like how many signs you have to send out uh, to get to your number. Um, you know, like, and you can say, Hey, we didn't get enough paper out today. We didn't get enough signs out. And so tomorrow and the rest of the week might be a bit of a struggle for us because we didn't get enough sign out. Or you go like, Hey, we put out a bunch of paper this week and not a lot of it came back. Why is that? Right. You know? So, yeah. Cause I guess, yeah, once, once you start quantifying, like sending those signs out as a, as a indicator of, of how you're doing, then, then maybe people lower the bar on what it takes to totally. send those Actually, out. I have this great, this really funny story early in the day, or early on in the history of the company, we're probably an 80 person company. And, uh, I hired a guy who's probably my 10th salesperson and we were checking in with him. We go, Hey, look, how's your month shaping up? He's like, it's, it's, you know, it's looking good. And we always have like this and we had this internal goal. You sell hundred K a month. Like, are you going to get to your hundred K number? Yeah, I think I am great. How many contracts do you have out? And he's like, uh, none. I don't have any contracts out. And it's like, you know, the 24th or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, you're not going to sell anything, but I have a stack of lottery tickets. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Like none of these are going to close. And so then we like told him like, listen, if you don't have any contracts out, you're not going to sell anything. And so the next month he had like every conversation he had 
You just sent out a contract, sent out a contract, sent out a contract. <laughs> and we're like, that's not what we meant. <laughs> we didn't mean just send but it still out feels all like the that, that, like that, Even the second one feels better than the first. 100%. If you don't send out any out, you yeah, have yeah, no yeah. chance. Totally. At least maybe you have a chance if you send some out. Yeah, but if you get obviously- people thinking like, oh, he must have sent me a contract because this is the point of the sale where he would send out a contract. Maybe I'm further along <laughs> than I think I <laughs> Right. Maybe maybe right. found that figured out a whole new approach to selling. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I assume now you're going to tell us he's now today he's our top salesman or something, right? No, <laughs> he's not. Didn't really work out. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, one one uh, other kind of piece there with the forecasting. I'm curious, like how much of it is is these like super predictable pieces, like you're saying, where it's where it's trend lines and trend lines that feed the trend lines, and then like when you when you set uh, a, a forecast, like how much of it is based on sort of like okay, there's a piece of that's that's going to be around some unknowns that always fifteen percent ends up being from these things that we hadn't anticipated, and we turn on these these new levers or or five percent or whatever that kind of percentage is. Is is everything trend lines, or is there sort of some unknowns that make up that forecast? No, there's definitely unknowns that make up that forecasting for sure. And you know, over the years, we've gotten better at selling enterprise opportunities too, where those would mm. historically be Massive like really lumpy. Yeah, and then yeah. when they're really lumpy. You actually don't get like much credit for them at the board level either. You show up with the biggest deal of the year or the history of the company and the board's just like, yeah, good for you. Like nice bluebird. Um, And when you can make them predictable and repeatable, not only can you start forecasting them, but you also get credit for running a motion that delivers them with predictability. Um, But yeah, so there's always a piece of the forecast that is you know, kind of manager discretion. And so the manager knows like, okay, even though we're forecasting up a $2 million number in my segment, like I think there's upside to two and a half. And so there's a call that's happening, you know, every week where the managers are making a call against their number and then they can take an up or up or down um, in the week. And so you have some managers who will be like, yeah, actually everything went my way this week. And so I'm going to take my number up. And then you'll have a manager who goes like, I had a couple things fall through and I'm going to take my number down. Yeah. It it reminds me, I I was just working with a a company on a short term uh, project where um, trying to trying to help them turn on a new marketing channel that would hit the allowable acquisition costs based on kind of average conversion rates, average transaction size, you know, six month payback periods. And we're struggling and we're struggling. And then one deal comes in that pays for like two months of marketing. <laughs> yeah, 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 and right. I'm not used to working in those like massive deal things where, you know, I'm, I, I, I definitely deal a lot better with the predictability of high velocity, you know, smaller transaction sizes. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how that works. With, with, with that kind of variability and, um, you know, also being, you know, you're, you're in a public. You're as a public company. You have certain requirements. How do you? How do you personally sort of think about and manage sort of the goal setting? Like, how do you keep it aggressive, but not you know, <laughs> you know, but keep it within what you think is is realistic? The realms of reason. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, because you want people striving for more, but you also you don't want to set it the bar so high that they're just like, well, we're never going to hit that. 
Yeah, yeah. There is a art and science to essentially setting quotas for your teams. Um, and you want to set quota in a way that is um, that is achievable, but not irrational. Um, and so really getting that right creates not only creates the right incentives for your team, but creates the right momentum throughout the year. Because uh, you want your team sort of running to a number that they believe is achievable. The minute it gets out of the realms of possibility, you're in like not a great place. But you're using, you know, we have today a team of, um, we call it go-to-market insights. And these are kind of, uh, it's a mix of sort of data scientists, previous like kind of private equity investor type people um, and analysts. You know, it's like the the kid, the the guys who went to Penn and Harvard and Stanford and wanted to work in a company and not sort of go into the private equity route that have an incredible amount of horsepower who do a number of things for us. And one of those things is helping us set quota, um, helping us understand forecasting, helping us think through, um, you know, they do this scorecard for us of our account executives. And it tells us, you know, not only which account executives are our best account executives, but it tells you which ones close the most opportunities at the lowest discount rate. It shows you which ones close the most dollars at the highest discount rates. It shows you which sellers close the least dollars at the highest discount rates. And it shows you which sellers sell the least amount at the lowest discount rates. It shows you all of them. And then it gives you an opportunity from a management perspective to go in and say, hey, John, like you're selling the least amount of dollars here and you're doing it at the lowest discount rates. Why don't you like loosen up the discount anymore a little bit so you can move up your velocity? And you can go to the person who has the highest discount rate and the highest and the highest sales number and go like, hey, listen, you need to bring down the discount rate. You can sell more, bring down the discount rate across all of the deals and you can uh, you can actually sell more. And so they run all of these kind of like people analytics on our sales teams, on our account management teams um, that help us coach better. The other thing, you know, they 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 do for us today is they can go through using data, using the data science capabilities of that team, and then using the histor- you know, using historical data and tell you, hey, of your client base, these five are the most likely to upgrade. They're the most likely to upgrade to these things and just go run and play at them for these five things. And it's incredibly predictive, incredibly accurate. And so it helps us be really efficient with the use of our resources in the go-to-market organization. Sounds like a world-class sensitivity analysis. Uh, yeah, you're totally. Like, uh, so yeah, so, sounds really amazing. I mean, um, is it you know? Do you find it getting easier over time? Because you know, just because each quarter, each day that you go through, you're learning more and you're learning more about the you know the different things that that impact and affect the business, or is there still a lot of unpredictability? I wish that the answer to that was yes. Um, but, uh, I think that what, what happens is that, uh, the, as the organization grows, there are new, uh, you know, new challenges that present themselves. And that's been true forever, right? When we were a 10 person company, I had a different set of challenges than when we were a 50 person company, than a hundred percent company, than a 200 person company. They're just a new set of things that you're focused on and trying to learn and get better at. And so, you know, today when you're, uh, 
uh, billion dollar plus 4,000 person company, there are a whole new set of challenges that you're trying to tackle. And so one part of the business might get easier, but three parts might get harder. Um, I really think like it's impossible to be good at this job if you're not a really great learner. You just have to constantly be learning new things, listening to the business, trying to understand where you're doing the right things, where you're doing the wrong things and constantly trying to improve. If you can't do that, you're just not long for the seat. Yeah. One, one of the things that we talked about last time was kind of the role of experimentation in learning. And I, I imagine that with, with 4,000 employees, and just as you're talking about that, there's there's so many insights in the data that with 4,000 employees, you, you kind of like, there's experiments that happen all the time, even if you don't want them to. People are going to do things differently. Do you feel like more of that learning comes from studying the data or or still through active experimentation and, and trying to learn through the, the kind of uh, experimentation process? I actually think the data tells you where to experiment. Um, and so okay. you're looking at the data and you're going, oh, like, let me give you an example. Um at the beginning of the year, we saw this like weird trend happening in our enterprise accounts where enterprise, our enterprise renewal rates were lower than we thought they should be. And we looked at the data and went like, it's so strange. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And when you looked at it, what you saw was the enterprise renewal rate was fine except for enterprise accounts, so large companies that were spending less than $50,000 a year with us. So you could go like feel around in the enterprise and try to figure it out, but you have data. And so if you leverage that data, it tells you like, actually renewal rates fine over here, but in these accounts, $50,000 and lower is bad. And so now you're like, okay, well, why is it bad in those accounts? And then you go talk to um, some managers, you talk to account managers and they go, yeah, well, like I'm not going to pay any attention to that $50,000 account because I manage six accounts and four of them are $500,000 accounts or million dollar accounts. And then two of them are these $50,000 a year accounts. They're not worth any of my attention. If they renew, great. If they don't, it doesn't really matter because I'm trying to take a $500,000 account to a $2 million account. And I'm going to spend all my energy navigating that across my four account, across those four accounts. I spend very little energy on those two $50,000 accounts. They're just not that meaningful to me. Okay. Yeah, and that's actually within the best interest of the company yeah, for them to do that. Totally. <laughs> so we go, okay, well. But then, then I'm sure it's like, how do you carve them out? <laughs> what's the experiment? And so the experiment yeah. is let's pull those $50,000 accounts out. Let's make them their own cohort inside of enterprise. And let's have a team that just focuses on them. Because by the way, it's a shame because these are big accounts that should be million dollar accounts over time. That's why they're sitting in the enterprise segment with our best enterprise sellers, um, but they're not giving them the attention that they need to be able to ever be a million dollar, $2 million account. So I, and by the way, immediately you saw renewal rates, retention rates tick up in those accounts. And so I think the data can point you to where the problems are. And then it's your, it's your responsibility to take that and drive change and experimentation inside of the company. But the, but the data can tell you you can't really hide. Uh, you can't really hide anything yeah. that's going poorly when you're looking at the data. And and as you're digging into those the, that those insights there, and you 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 discover okay, it's these fifty thousand. Like to uncover that next layer of okay, now I see that it's these these enterprise uh, reps that are focused on on just the, their much bigger accounts. 
does that start with uh, like forming some hypotheses there, or is it like you you spot that opportunity and just digging into more data? Yeah, um, I think like you how, spot like where, that. Where do you get to the truth? Yeah, so you spot that issue, and then you're going and having a qualitative conversation. So then you want to okay. go like, okay, I have some guesses about why this would be the case, but let me go have some qualitative manager uh, qualitative conversations. At the, at the manager and account manager level to really understand. You know, that team, that go-to-market insights team, they present all sorts of interesting ideas like, hey, we're going to move this or change that or do this. And almost always, I almost always go, hey, have you talked to our best sales rep, our best account managers? Have you talked to these people? And uh, because I want it to be validated at that level before we're like doing anything. And actually, the guy who runs that for us, he has a standing meeting every other week with our best salespeople, our best account managers and our best account executives just to hear their feedback from the field, to share with them ideas that they have from an insights perspective and then to calibrate what they're doing. So, you know. Data is never going to get you all the way there. You need that qualitative aspect of it to make the right decisions. I usually, when you present to me like a, the, the way that I try to like understand data is that if you share with me kind of like a, a big insight, I want to go back down to the most granular level that I can and try to understand like, what does that look like at the company level? So in that example of the $50,000 enterprise accounts, I want to say, show me some of the accounts. And so then they show me the accounts and then I'll go, okay, pick, let me pick one, pick one of them. Like, what did they buy? How did they onboard? How did they implement? Okay. All of that looks good. Then like, who is the account manager? And then you're starting to get to like, okay, that's interesting. Who are their other accounts? So I always like to go to the most granular piece of data. It helps me understand the rest of the way up. This week's Breakout Growth Podcast episode is sponsored by SAP. SAP helps businesses increase productivity and achieve real-time transparency with the power and flexibility of SAP Cloud Solutions, delivering end-to-end business transformation. If you have ambitious goals and are working to lead markets and industries, then you probably already know how important it is to align with a technology partner who will scale and drive innovation with future industry leaders like yourself. Don't rely on stitched together solutions that don't talk to each other to manage business finances, operations, HR, suppliers, and customer relationships. Instead, leverage the flexibility of SAP's cloud-based suite of solutions. You can power all these in one place and gain unprecedented insights into the performance of your business from end to end. Whether you're on the brink of or have already achieved breakout growth success, learn more by visiting sap.com SME. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm actually working with a guy. Just started an interim VP growth role. Um, I tend to do them in kind of three to six month uh, periods, and I, I started one about three or four weeks ago. And uh, I uncovered, I, I created a an insights uh, channel in Slack, and it's obviously on a, on a way smaller scale than what you're talking about. I mean, we've got 40 people working in the business, but it it is a very worldwide distributed team. With with salespeople that probably don't talk to each other that much because they're spread out quite a bit, and I saw a bunch of stuff that was happening in user testing and user session videos that suggested there was an opportunity, and just shared in the insights that here's what I'm seeing. And I heard I had one person in one part of the world come back and say, 
oh yeah, we haven't really had much luck there. Uh, it just doesn't, doesn't really work. I don't, I don't think there's an opportunity there. And then a guy on the other side of the planet comes in and says, actually, we, this is the playbook that we've been using and we're getting a ton of business in that area. And, and then, and then I triggered this like very long thread between the two of them sharing specific examples. And, and now, now the guy in Europe is, is mining the same opportunity that the guy in the United States had been managing. And so it's just, it, it is just so interesting how, how, there's so much opportunity in the insights when you totally. when you share them effectively. I'll give you a fun tactical one that that lines up here. When so we have a program where you come in and as as a sales development rep in SDR, and from an SDR you be, you start an inbound, then you go to outbound, then you get a pair, you get paired with account executive, then you become an account executive. The first place you become an account executive, you become what we call a Trojan account executive, and what that means is. The opportunities that you work are opportunities that are best sellers closed, uh, closed and said there's no opportunity. So not closed lost, but closed no opportunity. So all of a sudden you're a new seller. You're, you're the first time running your own opportunities and you're running the opportunities that Zoom Info's best sellers said don't exist. There's no opportunity here. And then in your first month, you close five of those, four of those, three of those, and you feel like a superstar because all of a sudden you were able to close deals that the best seller said had no opportunity or were bad fits, close bad fits. And so all of a sudden you're picking up dollars from the floor and you're building your confidence that you can do even more than the best sellers at the company. It's a really powerful motion. You know, I, I have a question, a, a set of questions I was going to go into, but I wanted to go back to, at the very beginning of this conversation, one of the things you said is different, I think, today than when we last spoke with you is that uh, you've added a recruiting component to the business. That, that I hear that correctly? Yes. Um, yep. So I, 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 I'm curious what if you can tell us a little bit more about what that is and why, why it exists. But I also, uh, I'm curious about the decision-making process that got you there, because um, especially for big successful companies sometimes like if you're going to take a bet if you're going to make a big bet like it's unless it's really valuable it's not you know it's, it's hard to justify it so i'm curious about the decision making yeah. process for a company your size that's interesting so i think first um we made a lot of bets uh over the last two years we built a lot of platforms we made a lot of acquisitions so the talent platform it's called talent os was one of the bets we also built a marketing platform called marketing os and why not i'll take you through both of those because i think they're very similar or basically the same um the first thing we the the way that we think about our business is we know we have an incredible data asset. It's high quality, it's really broad, it's really deep. We made acquisitions to bolster it. We think it's the best data asset of company and professional information in the world. And so, great. We have this really great data asset. How do we leverage it? The most the first most obvious way was, hey, let's get salespeople to use it and they can use it for their prospecting efforts. They can use it for their outbound efforts. They can use it for account mapping and account planning. We said, okay, great. That's working. It's growing. It's really successful. It's the sort of the core of what we do. How else can you leverage that data asset? Well, you can leverage it for enrichment when you're using your CRM system. We can plug in there and clean all the data in your CRM system and enrich a bunch of insights in there as well. Now you're continuing to leverage that data asset. Well, how else can you uh, leverage it? Well, 
we have a bunch of marketers who sign up for Zoom Info and they sign up for our sales OS platform because that's the, the only platform that existed at the time. And they're using it for marketing activities, build an audience, push that into marketing automation, um, run a program, know who visits their website. And then we said, okay, well, we have a bunch of marketers over here. There's a whole bunch of like purpose-built things that we could build that are specific for marketers that continue to leverage that data asset. And so, and it was the same thing on talent. We had a bunch of recruiting firms who came in. They actually started using our platform for uh, business development, for finding new customers to use their staffing and recruiting services. And then they realized the data is really good, so they brought the recruiters on the platform as well. So now you have these interesting constituencies who are using the product in a way that you really didn't build the product for. You didn't build it for marketers. You didn't build it originally for talent acquisition professionals. But there is a value in that use case. And so then you're asking yourself, how big is that market? And if it's big enough, should I build its own a platform around that specific use case? Or should I just include it collectively inside of the sort of the broader use case? And what we decided was that there is a very big market for recruiting and staffing and talent acquisition. And there's an you know, an equally big, if not bigger, I think, market for mar for marketing professionals and the work that they're doing from a B2B perspective. So we took that data asset and then we purpose built a platform on top of it for marketers and uh, talent acquisition professionals. And so you leverage that same data asset. You're just leveraging a different UI, some different integrations, some different channels that you plug into for the different uh, for the different personas. That's a great example of kind of maybe some of the unknown component of the of the forecasting. Like you don't know how much those bets are going to play off. You don't have real trend lines to work off of, but some of them are going to pay off and 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 make really good contributions over time. It's interesting, you know. To me, it's it's interesting because you you really seem to look at it from like how do we drive curiosity in our own business? I mean, that you're like, how do we leverage this? How else do we leverage it? It sounded to me like the five whys sort of approach to things only that it's now it's the five hows. Like how, what else could we do with this? What else can we do with it? And it's funny because Sean and I, uh, we're both working with, uh, with some new companies lately. And we were just having a conversation recently about like, you know, just how you start to think about these things and how you start to try to branch out and keep challenging each other. So it's, it, it's a, I think it definitely starts with that curiosity. It's interesting how you've been able to use that to find those big opportunities. I had a, a board member early on in, in our history, a guy named Charles Rutstein, and he was the chief operating officer at Forrester. And um, they were like, hey, it's a similar business to Zoom Info. And I was like, yeah, I don't think it's a similar business, but Charles is a great guy. Um, so we should get him on the board. And in one of our first meetings, one of my first meetings with him, he went, um, it's a similar business because we write content, we create a whole bunch of content, and then we want to sell that content in, an, in as many places as possible. We want to take that content that we're building, we have a motion to create really great content, and then we want to monetize it across as many places as we can. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. We are kind yeah. of in the content creation business. Data as content. Data <laughs> as content. And we want to be able to monetize that content in as many different places as possible. Um, 
and obviously there are places you don't want. Like I, you know, we're not the greatest white label partner in the world. I, you know, we, we want to like keep the data close to us, but we all in that, in that construct, we also want to monetize it in as many places as possible. And so when you go like, okay, I've got this data asset, how do I monetize it in as many places as possible? You go salespeople, marketing people, talent acquisition people, operations professionals. And so our whole strategy, it's like pretty clear on the, you know, when you look at what we're doing is how do you take that data asset and then monetize it across as many different places and personas as makes sense. There's obviously a bunch of areas like people tell us all the time, like, why don't you build a product for hedge fund managers? Cause you've got all this really interesting data and hedge fund managers might, we're not going to do that yet. We don't think it's big enough of a market for our specialty data. Um, but where there are, where we see really big opportunities that then we can that we can build a platform around, that's really interesting to us. So literally, since the last time we were together um, in September of 2022, September of 2020, we had one platform, our sales OS platform. We we're monetizing the content or the data that we were uh, creating through salespeople. Today, we have a marketing OS platform, a talent OS platform, and an operations OS platform. And so now we have three additional platforms that we're using to monetize that asset. And you, you mentioned that you've done some acquisitions. So were, were any of those acquisitions tied into that to help you kind of kickstart those initiatives faster? Yeah, yeah, totally. So and for our marketing OS platform, we made an acquisition of a company called Clickagy that provided intent data and what's called a demand side platform, essentially an engine that lets you place display ads across the open web. Um, so that that's plugged into our marketing OS platform, the intent data. And so our marketing customers can say, hey, I want to target all chief marketing officers in the United States at technology companies. And I want to start doing display ads in front of them, in front of that specific. I, I, I literally just had a, a marketer pitch me a couple of weeks ago, not pitch me, but just like share with me a, a really excited thing that he's working on that I think was working with you guys to take that intent data to... Uh, to essentially do a, a, a demand gen for for a business that he he works in for their sales team uh, that he yeah he, like I, I seeing his enthusiasm makes me think you're onto something yeah yeah totally uh, yes a hundred percent and and then so then so so that was that acquisition we also made. Uh, we made an acquisition of a company called Ringlead that does data orchestration. So it helps you sort of like route leads and um, and and set up territories inside of your CRM system, do data hygiene there, helps us unlock the enterprise. That's plugged into our operations OS platform. And then we made an acquisition of a company called Comparably, um, which is a Glassdoor competitor. Um, and it helps talent acquisition and HR professionals manage their brand on the on the web. And we plug that into our talent OS platform as well. So yeah, we have made acquisitions to really like uh, fill out the uh, the different platforms. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to, uh, I pulled I pulled a quote from our la your last conversation with Sean. And, um, and I wanted to ask you a couple of questions around that. And you know, this new context of where you are today. You said, today I'm trying to project out 30% growth for the next decade. You're making bets and plugging people into that vision for the future. You second guess yourself all the time, but it's healthy because it gets me to the right point. Um, which uh, it, that stuck with me because I thought it was, um, there's a lot in there that's that's really valuable. And, and, and obviously, 
you're not unwilling to take risks. You're not a, unwilling to, to make big bets. Um, and you're doing that with this projection of what the future is going to look like. So I'm curious, um, how do you reconcile what the new learnings will do to change the, the trajectory, the roadmap? In other words, every day you're running experiments, you're trying new things. And that's that in itself is going to give you learnings that might change the direction. But at the same time, you're trying to say, this is where we're going. How do you reconcile that so you keep things going in the right direction uh, that you think is is the big future, but you let the learnings take you there? So let me give you the quick answer and then I'll give you the longer answer. The quick answer is like, it's just my team, really. It's the team that I put around me that that is going to get me there. The The longer answer is, as the company gets bigger, you know, my ability, when you're a speedboat, it's easy to just shift left, shift right, turn right, go faster. When you're a cruise ship, um, it's a little bit more difficult. You want to build in the pieces of the business that still allow you to move quickly, but you are coordinating a lot more. And so my ability uh, to really drive the direction of the company starts by laying out the strategy. And I have to make sure that the strategy, that that's like the big piece. This is what we're going to do this year, next year. You know, in 2021, it was, hey, we need to bring together, uh, in 2021 and 2022, it was, we need to bring together a number of these different plat- uh, uh, acquisitions into one integrated experience so we have an end-to-end go-to-market platform. In 2020 and 2019, it was, we need to build out the best data asset that exists in the world. It needs to be the best company data, the best contact data. It needs to be constantly updated. It needs to have insights that are coming off of it. And then if you look out now, sort of the next two years, what is the strategy and like, how are we going to, and how do we get there? So I can lay out the strategy and say, for the next, you know, 24 months or two years, our strategy, a key part of our strategy is going to be, you know, create delightful customer experiences, go up market, have the right talent and drive efficiency in our business. So I can say those things. And then I have to go and make sure that everybody understands what those mean. Everybody understands what specifically that means for their business. And then every time I show up to a meeting, I have to make sure that the things that we're going to work on align back to one of those four criteria. I was in a meeting this morning. I, there's this great Johnny Ive video on uh, you know, Twitter or YouTube or whatever, where he talks about how Steve Jobs um, uh, or uh, is it Johnny Ive? Uh, it's one of Steve Jobs, uh, the Beats guy. What's his name? Um, Jimmy Iovine. Is that who it is? It's either Johnny Ive or Jimmy Iovine. Anyways, he worked for Steve Jobs. And he, he was talking about what focus meant at Apple. And he said, you know, the biggest thing about fo- focus and staying focused is saying no to great ideas that you wake up in the morning thinking about how great they are, but they don't line up to the strategic direction of where you're trying to go. And so you have to say no to them. This morning, I was on an innovation call with our chief strategy officer. He presented this super cool idea and like, and every ounce of my energy wanted to say like, absolutely go do that. (laughs) And then you have this voice in the back of your head that goes like, but no, you said 
You're going to focus on these four things and you can disingenuously shove a square peg into a round hole to tell you that it does fit like the, you know, kind of in del- built delightful yeah, customer experiences, <laughs> but you know, that's not true, right? Yeah. So yeah. So you have to stay focused on those things. And then I have to make, so, so that's what I, first part of what I do today is set the strategy, set out the framework. So everybody understands what we're looking for and how we know we're getting towards that strategy continuously, uh, say no to great ideas that don't fit that strategy and then make sure I have the best team on the field to deliver and execute against it. That's what I can do. You know, if something is going wrong in our product organization, I can't just go like do a heroic effort to fix it anymore. I can't just show up and go, you know what, clear my schedule for a month, put me in all the product meetings. I'm going to turn this thing around. I can give feedback. I can make sure I can try to uh, move towards the right place. And then ultimately I have to make sure that the right leadership is in those roles to get us to the right outcome. That is what I can do. Um, I can develop leaders and I can upgrade leaders. And uh, those are the two areas that I have the most impact strategy leadership. Um, And I have to make sure that I as a CEO, I'm focused on those two things. And if I can get, if I can get seven out of 10 strategy and leadership decisions, right, then I'm probably the greatest CEO in the world. Um, and if I can get six out of 10, right, then I'm doing pretty good. Sounds good. <laughs> awesome. Did you have a follow-up on that? Ethan, I, or, I wanted uh, to give you a shot before we uh, wrap up. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the future before we, uh, before we wrap things up. So when you, when you think about zoom info over the next, uh, we, you could kind of zoom in or out <laughs> as far as you want on the future, but, uh, next year, next few years, like what, what is, what is it that gets you most excited these days? Uh, the opportunity has never felt as large as it does today. Um, every, so I've been on the road since September, not of 2020, but of this year. Um, and I've been meeting customers. I've been meeting investors. I've been meeting enterprise customers, mid-market customers. What's so amazing to me is that every time I go into an enterprise account, I walk out going like, that should be a multi-million dollar account. There are a dozen places we should be plugged into to help digitize the way companies are going to market. And there's a huge tailwind of companies that want to do this. Like old, you know, in the in the quarter, uh, in last quarter, we sold a number of sort of non-tech, non-digital, digital first companies. So Rider Systems, um, Sherwin-Williams, uh, USI Corporation, Taylor Corporation, all became really big, meaningful clients of ours because they want to digitize the way that they go to market. And that trend is not slowing down. You don't show up somewhere and they go, you know what? We actually decided we don't want to go to market in a digital way anymore. It doesn't really work for us. And so that opportunity is massive and it's early. The other piece I get really excited about is um, everybody has a CRM system. Every single company. I've never gone to a company and they're like, no, there's no CRM here. Um, Everyone's got one and no one's doing anything about the data that's plugged into those systems. And it seems like totally 
intellectually dishonest to have a CRM system and not say, well, I need to plug something in there to make sure all the data gets fully enriched and stays up to date. Nobody's going to tell you like, yeah, every company that we sell to looks exactly the same today as it did last year. Everybody will tell you every company we're trying to sell to looks meaningfully different on December 31st as it did on January 1st. There are different executives. Some got funding, some didn't, some got acquired, some did acquisitions. Every company is different. The people at those companies are different, yet our CRM has no mechanism to keep track of those changes. That is crazy. It is not a way to run a business in the future. And by the way, it's not sci-fi either. You know, I haven't even gotten into using ML and AI to predict the right companies. I'm just saying the data that sits in your CRM is objectively bad. And the fact that for two decades, we haven't done anything about that is totally bonkers. And so I have to expect that over the next decade, every company is going to go, you know what? There is an infrastructural element of our CRM that is missing. We can't just have everybody put data in the CRM, marketing, salespeople, sales ops people, and then jump over cleansing, enriching, appending, keeping that data accurate and go straight into an analytics layer. That makes no sense. I can't just start doing analytics and building applications on a bad foundation of data. And so I have a lot of conviction that over the next decade, every company is going to be plugging in Zoom Info into their CRM systems as an infrastructural must have to keep that information updated and accurate. I just can't imagine a world where they don't. Um, and yeah, I can, I can see the like garbage in garbage out kind of old, uh, old saying that like it wasn't garbage in, but it became garbage really fast. Totally. And you, <laughs> you know, go to like, these big companies, <laughs> they're spending, you know, I was talking to a bank the other day, they're spending, uh, they're spending tens of millions of dollars on CRM and no infrastructural data element. You go to their their investment bankers, their commercial bankers, and they're like, yeah, I don't use CRM because all the data is junk. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> and so- yeah. And then it makes sense that a third party would manage data accuracy. Of there. course. They're like, yeah, why, why should every business set up their own unit to try to keep the data up? Mm, absolutely, updated? makes no sense. There aren't enough people offshore to do it for every company who wants to try to manually keep their data up to date is just not possible. Um, and so we are such an obvious, important part of the go-to-market ecosystem today, but especially in the future, there's just this tremendous tailwind that we'll continue to uh, to benefit from. And then the other thing I'll tell you is I'm 39. Um, I'll be 40 next year. I the people that I talk to on the other end of uh, of our customers are starting to be a lot closer to my age. And the people who are my age, they grew up having access to this data, having access to these tools. They expect the data in their CRM to be accurate, to have access to good data, to have access to digital tools to reach their customers. And so as they, and they are, but as they become more and more senior leaders in companies, this is such an obvious pull through for them. Yeah, that makes sense. It's so hard to go backwards once you've yeah. had good data to work with, it's really hard to say, eh, we'll just fly by the seat of our pants. Totally. And, and not, yeah, not actually, we're just going to go with our gut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think we're uh, we're running out of time here. So um, we have this one la- this question we always ask guests. We've already asked you this, and the question is, what do you, what do you understand about growth today that maybe you didn't understand a couple of years ago? But I think for since you maybe it's uh, for you specifically, it's since we last spoke and since you've taken this company public, what is it that you've learned about growth that's changed for you or that you didn't wasn't obvious for you in the past? Ah, uh, do you have what I said last time, Ethan? I wish I did have it in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so curious. I'll have to look it up. I will tell you that today, what I know about growth that I didn't know before is, um, so growth starts with what your frontline account executives and your account managers can do and can accomplish for you, especially in a SaaS business, obviously. And keeping them focused is maybe the most important thing you can do. And sometimes, and we've benefited from this, sometimes your product lends itself to a lot of focus and a lot of clarity in the way that you go to market. And when you don't have it, it's very hard to get a lot of forward momentum without it. Sales reps, they can't do 50 things a quarter. They can do three. And you got to pick the three that are most impactful. You have to enable around it. You have to provide the right collateral around it. You got to run programs around it. You can't do 50, but you can do three and you can enable a whole thousand person team of salespeople to get those three and drive forward. But it has to be focused and it can't be 50 things. That's probably my biggest learning over the last couple of years. It's, uh, I think Sean will agree that uh, we constantly hear that maybe one of the most important things in growth is is focus and just like exactly what you said you can try to do a lot of things poorly or you can do a few things well 100% so, and i wasn't yeah. i don't think i would have told you that i don't i'm certain when you go back and you can splice it into this interview after Ethan, <laughs> i'm certain i didn't say that 2 years ago <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we're all really curious. And we'll dig in. Everyone listening will dig in. So this is perfect, uh, perfect way to get some more ears on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting just for, for me on that same note, and this is just even on a weekly basis, but Ethan and I first started working together, you know, 20 plus years ago, uh, at a, at a game company called uproar.com in, in New York city. And, uh, it was the last company that sort of had the three things this week that you plan to do this week going forward and and the three things that you plan to do last week what happened with those and back then i was in my 20s and i really i really like didn't appreciate it very much just kind of oh, that's a pain in the ass exercise and you know kind of want to be all over the place i get you know and i love it now 25 years later that I sit down on, on Sunday and, and just lay out my plan. If I only got three things done this next week, what are the three things I care most about? And then what were the things I set out last week? And I, I literally have it right here in front of me. Yeah. Awesome. I'll even, uh, <laughs> I'll even take it. Like, these are my amazing. I won't show too much, but like, <laughs> these are my three from last week. These are my three for this week. And I'm, I'm constantly going back at it to keep me on what yep. really matters when yep. I sat down, because there is so much stuff you can do in so growth yep. that I, and, and I'm, I'm pretty ADD. So it's really yep. easy for me to, to go down a, a rat hole of, of something I didn't plan to do and, and just having this bring me back on task. So I know it's not, and what I like what you're saying is like, 
you, you're kind of talking about it in terms of the year. And, uh, and so just really quarter. being able to focus on what matters or on the quarter. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been super helpful for me as well. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Cool. Well, it is so fun to have you back Thank on. Thank you for and, having and, me uh, back. Yeah. And amazing to hear these numbers of, of moving from like 1,100 employees when you're on to, to over 4,000 now and these different business units. Um, it's, uh, it, was, it was a fun conversation last time and, and even more fun this time to, uh, to, to live a little piece of the journey for, yeah. for the last 45 minutes. W- so, would you say but, it was a better conversation this time, Henry? Ethan adds a lot. So yes. He does. He does. Everyone needs a clown in a conversation. No, just kidding. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Henry, have a great day. And uh, for everyone tuning in, thank you for tuning in. And uh, excited to get this one published. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.